Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast. We're very glad to have you here with us. Today, we're having a discussion on the topic of prayer. And uh, my name's Cameron, and I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, g'day. Uh, I'm Ken uh, from Launceston, uh, where Cameron is. And this is Luke from Hong Kong. And I'm Lachlan in Sydney. This week's lesson is on prayer, and it looks at prayer in the context of uh, witnessing. Now, in the previous episodes, we've heard from Clancy, and she couldn't be with us. But she did suggest some fantastic passages that we could read that would bear heavily on the topic of prayer and provide a lot of you know, food for interesting discussion. So we're going to look at the first section of Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to start reading from verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks, finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You, fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right, there's a lot in here. Let's start... At the, uh, at the beginning, at the Lord's Prayer. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus was praying in a certain place. Uh, I've just finished reading The Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis. And in one of the last chapters, C.S. Lewis points out that, and this is my words, it is not for nothing that the landlord, uh, who is God, gave us, uh, tethered us to time and place. Uh, so... We live in bodies, our physical existence. Uh, So we always do things in a certain place, including prayer, which is that intersection with the spiritual world. Mm. And uh, it's interesting. It doesn't tell us what the place is. But maybe it was a place well known to... uh, Maybe Luke didn't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was was a well-known place he used to visit. It was a particular place, a certain place. Is there any uh, difference in the rendition of the Lord's Prayer in Luke to the other Gospels? Nothing jumped out at me. There's the bits missing at the end of it. You know, the power and the glory and forever and ever. Yeah. They may be present in Matthew. Or is it possible that they're only present in certain of the of the source material? I, I have some vague memory that they may have been... There's a hypothesis. They may have been a little bit retro-inserted. Hmm. The other interesting thing I think about verse verse, uh, 1, the request is, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. 
do you get a sense that there's a, well, we don't want to miss out. Uh, if John's disciples were taught to pray, well, we need to learn how to pray. Um, you're not you, you're not giving us the complete curriculum here, Jesus. Um, uh, let's get on with the learning. Yes, and when, when he teaches them to pray, it's a fairly short, to the point. It's not super religious. That's not the right word. Uh, it, it uses common language, doesn't it? I mean, the word for father is the word that little children would have used for addressing their fathers. Mm. So it was daddy, daddy in heaven. I've just found the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. It's in Matthew 6. And it also doesn't contain the glory and the power um, forever and ever. Amen. So maybe I'm just looking in a translation that doesn't render that that passage. But it, there are still some differences. Uh, in Matthew, there is the phrase, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that's mm. missing in Luke. And in Matthew, there is the request to rescue us from the evil one uh don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one whereas in luke it's just limiting itself to saying and don't let us yield to temptation so small differences but very very similar phrasing and very similar pattern of prayer with a fair scope of content covered you know uh i think we could have a whole discussion many discussions on on what it means for god's kingdom to come but then there's asking God for needs, there's uh, physical needs, and then spiritual needs in verse 4. So, yeah, it covers a sort of wide spectrum of, of prayer. There's something here that had completely slipped my attention in all previous encounters of Luke 11. The disciples come to Jesus and ask for instruction on prayer. And Jesus begins his answer with what we know as the Lord's Prayer. But in fact, the, the subsequent teachings, which are the slightly troubling stories in my mind about the friend who nags his neighbor from outside late at night, that is actually just a continuation of Jesus's answer. In verse 5, then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Mm. So in Luke... This parable that comes is a continuation of Jesus's answer to their request for for teaching how to pray. That's interesting. Yes, it always and and it's a disturbing story for me because it suggests that well, God really doesn't want to do what we ask Him to do, uh, but but because we're bold enough, uh, brazen enough, if you like, to ask for it, uh, well, He'll reluctantly get up and and give us whatever we need. There's some elements, though, that are nice. The person who's asking for prayer may be brazen, but they're not, they, they do not assume, they're not commanding. No, there's a request. There's a request, and the person seems to be aware that they're in a bit of an unusual situation. So there is a dynamic between these two people, a, a heavy imbalance between the two people, which I think is an authentic reflection. When we come and meet with God, we are not meeting with him as equals you know we are the ones with the needs so uh, maybe christ is warning against the sort of prayer where god is more or less told what to do in no uncertain terms there is there is any sort of prayer which i do need to find it's only quick it's adrian plus well while while you're looking for it I, I i do think it's interesting that it is because of the man's boldness he will get up and give him as much as he needs and there's Paul, doesn't he? I think it's Paul, speaks about 
uh, you know, we, we approach the throne with boldness. So to be bold is not a bad thing either. It could have some lesson in it about false modesty, perhaps. I'm reminded of the story of the the Pharisee praying in public and making a great show of how holy they are. Which comes from a different chapter in Luke. That, that comes from Luke 18, which also has the uh, widow and the dishonest judge. Yes, exactly. Right, and that story of this dishonest judge is quite similar in lots of ways to this one, isn't it? There is a persistence. A request is granted because of a persistence. So is that what's required of us? Um, You know, we need to pray the prayer the required number of times, uh, and then uh, we'll get the answer, um, even though uh, it might have been needed immediately. (laughs) Here's a comment from Adrian Plass. Perhaps this is an attitude... Interestingly, Adrian Plass is not necessarily passing judgment on these attitudes. He's just drawing attention to the fact that he, he at least feels a bit uncomfortable with this sort of prayer, but uh, at least guessing from what he's written. Uh, he says, he two or three times a year I speak at dinners organised by a very energetic and effective body whose members are committed to outreach all over the world. He always enjoys the occasions, but I've, I've, I've noticed, he says, that a certain style of prayer seems to be mandatory. We stand in a tight circle with our arms around each other like a small introspective rugby scrum bouncing on our heels. Why? Shouting aggressive prayers towards the bottom of the world that is formed by our bodies. And I couldn't help wondering what would happen if one of these violent prayer merchants took over a greengrocer's shop and at the same time happened to have no outlet for their religious fervour. It might look like this, and he writes a short sketch. A shopkeeper. Good morning, madam. How can I help you? I'd like a nice cabbage, please. A nice cabbage? Oh, yeah, that one will do. Just a moment, sister, that one will not do. I think we should seek the will of God here. Do you witness to that, sister? Well, I, I, I just want a cabbage, really. I'm not. Let's take it to the Lord. Let's just take it to him. Lord, we know that you chose a cabbage for our sister here before the world began, and we pray for your guidance now. We know that the world sees the outside of these cabbages, but you see the inside. And this prayer, incidentally, goes for a couple of pages, so I won't read it all, but it's, it's, it, he claims the cabbage, the seals the cabbage, and he asks the Lord to take dominion over the greens. He, he says to the caterpillars of doubt and the slugs of uncertainty, we say, go right now, we rebuke you and we dismiss you and we cast you out from among these cabbages. And uh, the prayer goes on uh, for quite some time. And the, the skit ends with the shopkeeper calling on God to make the customer's appointed cabbage rise up and it does. It leaps into the air and he catches it with one hand and says, that'll be 55 pence, thank you. And she's walked out the door. <laughs> um, and and if, you want to, if you want to hear Adrian Plass perform that skit, uh, download his album Preaching to the Converted. Right. So, I mean, there is, there is, we are sometimes tempted to think when we pray that prayer is just a matter of the right recipes. And this is the context in which the disciples ask this, teach us how to pray. What's the right format? And maybe Christ is saying, look, there isn't a right format. When, when you come to God, there is, uh, you're not going to convince him. You're not going to impress him with, with everything that you've got and win him over to your side. He, he won't be impressed with your holiness and with your goodness and, and with the correct formatting of your prayer. Prayer is more like ringing on the doorbell of a friend in the middle of the night. Uh, you are in a position of need. There's a couple of things that are coming into my mind all at once. The f- first thing is, 
It's a particular kind of need in this parable. The person who is knocking on the door says, I need something to eat, to feed to a friend who has just arrived after a long journey. So already there's something really nice, even though the story, I'll admit, makes me slightly uncomfortable. There's something nice because the person who is asking for help is asking for help so that he can pass the blessing on to a, to a third party. And those are the kinds of prayers that I do find myself more comfortable with. If, if I'm going to nag God for something, then nagging him to buy me or to send me a new Lamborghini is probably a lot more on the nose, so to speak, and distasteful than, than nagging God to give me exactly what is needed so that I can bless the, the people in my street or my neighbor who is homeless or whatever it may be. So we get answered when we ask for good things, but not when we ask for the wrong things. <laughs> well, we, we all ask for wrong things fairly often, I'm sure. And we are all of us possibly guilty of not using the good things God's already given but, but us. But wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't we want that, though? If we're asking for the wrong thing, we don't want God to answer it. So there's no real difficulty with well, that. Exactly. And indeed, that's what he's saying yeah. in verses 11 no. and 12. Look, if you ask me for a fish, I'm not going to give you a snake. Uh, if you ask me for an egg, I'm not going to give you a scorpion. Uh, so when you ask, you know, I'm not going to give you the wrong gifts. I'm going to give you the right ones. Uh, so there's no difficulty with God not answering my prayer when I'm praying the wrong thing. Yeah, exactly. And Lewis points out that a prayer is always answered. Wouldn't prove any any existence of any God. It's it's not it's not theism or religion. It's magic. If if you can if you can cast the right spell and unfailingly get the thing you want. That's not what any religious person wants. Uh, we we pr- pray to God specifically because he, he knows better than us what we should have. Another another coming comment coming out of Pilgrim's Regress, um, the character in it, John, it's Lewis's version of Pilgrim's Progress, but it's, it's a regress instead of a progress. John starts in the church, the character John, and leaves it and then finds his way back. And John is driven by the desire to find an island. He has a vision of an island, and it's a place that he associates with pleasure, with sheer wonder. He's overcome by this vision. It's so beautiful and wonderful, and he's trying to find the island. And in the process of searching for this island, he he discovers God, more or less. And God shows him retrospectively his island, uh, the actual the actual place. And, and John looks at it and says um, that it is at once like the thing he desired, but also unlike. And it seemed good to him that it was different from the thing he thought it was. Uh, so different, in fact, that if he'd known what it was, he might not have desired it. But there's this idea that, that uh, the gifts God gives us make sense in retrospect. It does really seem to me that uh, this passage is really quite simple in this sense. He's working from the most difficult case and contrasting how God responds with that. Uh, so the 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 most the, the reluctant neighbour, even the reluctant neighbour, will uh, do what he has to do. And a father who is not God but a father will do the right thing. How much more uh, will God do things when we ask? The door will be opened, just as the door was opened by the reluctant neighbour. The door will be opened enthusiastically by God uh, when we knock. And perhaps there's nothing more to it than that. 
So you think there's a clear progression here from contrasting. So in other words, these stories in isolation do not, in fact, give us a good picture of prayer. It is it is the progression when you put them in order. Let's start with a, a, a grumpy neighbor and then let's move to a father and then let's say, keep going in that direction and you'll get a picture of, of what God's like. Yeah. Right. So I find that quite interesting. The The neighbor who initially answers, ah, oh, go away, I'm all locked up and I'm in bed, is actually not necessarily giving us a clear picture of what God is like. There's a bit of a bit of contrast. I find that especially comforting if, if we do consider the very similar story in Luke 18 of the persistent widow with the judge. You know, just a, a quick reminder about that story. There's a woman who is seeking justice. And the judge ignores her, but she keeps, keeps, keeps coming back. And in the end, the judge says, well, I don't care about people and I don't fear God, but this woman's driving me crazy and I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her con- constant requests. It's, it's nice if we have a fairly good reason for thinking that that is not a picture of what God is like, but that Luke is kind of saying, hey, even a dishonest judge will will do the right thing how much more so will will god be wanting to do the right thing well i i do wonder because we don't have the cultural context i do wonder if these specific examples he's chosen i mean of course he tells his stories always with the audience in mind but they were chosen because they are well understood examples of uncomfortable social situations where you have to ask somebody for something that i really want to give you you know the the corrupt judge the late night hospitality maybe these are quite common situations that people would immediately understand and then he's contrary saying look if even these people in these circumstances will give you what you want if you ask enough persistently then of course god is going to hear your prayers because he's 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 much better than than a corrupt judge and he's much better than a friend who's asleep you know so it's it's a case of of comparing and contrasting with something that would be immediately understood by people. Yeah, and and it would have been a huge embarrassment to have someone turn up at your house and not be able to feed them. Yeah, exactly. The hospitality, and that's an interesting one, Cam, because that that is a slight caveat to the claim I made before. This person is asking for food that he will then feed to a guest, but he is very much asking out of a need to save face himself personally. So that it's not a completely selfless request. If if I can, I'd, I'd like to, I, I agree with what's been said, but I don't think that these are altogether an inaccurate picture of prayer. Is Christ partly saying, are, are you only praying because you think you'll get the answer you want? Because these people in these prayers, the, the widow m- may not, be certain that she's going to get justice or a hearing before the judge. And this person's certainly not certain that he'll get his three loaves of bread. The, the question doesn't seem to be arising from any certainty that they're going to get what they want. It's just they're acknowledging their state, their need. If the only reason we pray, the only reason we come to God, is because we're certain that out of this we'll get something for us. Is Christ saying that that's, that's not why you pray? You ought not ponder the question will I, will this prayer result in me getting the thing i want before you ask of god before you choose to come to god 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 wants prayer on different terms to that 
Um, and this is this is one example of different terms. Is just a, a it's like when you need help, you call for help, whether you think you'll get it or not. Uh, there's that sort of desperation. But of course, God also wants other sorts of prayers that are not based on any expectation on our part of, of you know huge lucrative reward. Uh, God, I think, enjoys our company. So is Christ saying because the disciples want to be taught how to pray? Is is Christ saying, well, look, you're almost asking the wrong question. Uh, what's really on your heart and your minds, and what's bothering you right now? Bring that to God, and don't don't ponder too too much about whether it's the right or the wrong way to ask, or, or whether or not you're going to get what you want. I I like that, Cam, uh, and uh, indeed, I think what it's saying is God is interested in us coming to Him, uh, whatever our request might be. And uh, perhaps with the confidence that the Holy Spirit interprets with groans the prayers that we don't know how to pray, he gives us uh, what is best uh, for us and what we need, uh, even when we don't know uh, what we should be asking for. And he finishes off in verse uh, 12 there, or 13, uh, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I think it's an interesting to, to compare that with the end of the unjust judge in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, where he says, okay, well, God will see that you get justice and you get it quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So he turns it around into uh, a question about faith. And I, I wonder how that fits in. Is there a connection between being given the Holy Spirit and... Uh, and finding faith. That's a great observation. And there is something slightly weird here, just just for me being pedantic for a moment. In Luke 11, verse 13, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, that's nice. But in the Lord's Prayer, there isn't an explicit request for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there's, a, there's requests for other things. Well, maybe the Lord's Prayer isn't Jesus' complete teaching on prayer. We could maybe have a whole discussion on what actually the Holy Spirit is, uh, but probably not in this lesson. Um, I want. I also want to make the point that I think that verses nine and ten back up what you've been saying, Ken, because you could also read those verses as saying, "If you if you don't ask, it won't be given to you. If you don't seek, you won't find it. And if you don't knock, the door won't be open." Uh, you have to do those things to have any chance, uh, which is which is a general truism uh, that certainly applies to prayer as well. Mm. Indeed, it's it's perhaps not so much an instruction as it is simply an observation about how life works. Mm. If you don't ask for something, you don't get it. Nothing for the dumb, I think, is the saying. I have an interesting question. Uh, as we're discussing this, I have a particularly vivid memory in my mind. And the question is, have you ever been praying this kind of prayer or been part of a group praying this kind of prayer? Uh, the vivid example in my mind um, is, I don't know, I don't remember the punchline, unfortunately. When I was a student at Avondale, there was uh, one, I believe, a Friday we received news of a missing mission pilot in Papua New Guinea. And there was obviously significant concerns for his life and safety. And in the absence of any real information about it, what the student body decided to do was hold an all-night prayer vigil. So 
each individual person was only there in the college church for as long as they wanted to be, but but the groups of people cycling in and out meant that there was continuous prayer all night. Now, as I say, I can't even remember what the story, uh, how the story ended, and and what the situation was with this pilot. Some of you may even know it because you're all interested in aviation. But the the point about it was, <laughs> I found myself very very seriously sort of second guessing and third guessing and analyzing what I was actually doing there. I thought on the one hand, it was a very good thing to be coming to God in prayer collectively as a community and really just opening up a a very earnest request for potentially miraculous activity on the part of God. It felt extremely justified. Here's a person who was dedicating their life to a substantial mission and help of other people in, in a place where it was needed. But then on the other hand, I found myself thinking, are we trying, like, what is the point of trying to come here? Are we trying to impress God by our numbers? Is this trying to show up like as if we've got a lot of names on our petition? Um, Are we trying to impress God by being able to do penance? We can pray at 1am, you know, we're not even going to sleep. And I, I still don't know exactly how I feel about the occasion. Fundamentally, I think it was good. And a wholesome thing to do and nothing really wrong with it. But I found myself really reflecting, what were we in fact doing? How did we picture that interacting with prayer and what prayer was? Maybe you guys have great answers. Maybe people in the that are listening have great answers. But have you ever been part of a similar experience? I don't know if God deals with all people. I've been part of similar experiences. Um, I don't know if God deals with all people the same way. He can't possibly because we're all very different. Uh, I know uh, friends with a, a lovely um, couple who uh, who have been friends with Mel and I for a long time, and uh, she, the the wife, um, was a counsellor at the school uh, that I went to, and uh, the her husband married Mel and I. So um, really lovely people. Um, she prays and then selects verses from the Bible by what appears to me a very random process. God seems to work through this in a way that is more direct than I've seen anywhere else. And her husband said to me, he said, he's a theology lecturer, or was a theology lecturer incidentally, he said it it, he, it doesn't work with him. God doesn't seem to speak to him in these in these ways. So I think that for people for whom an all-night vigil vigil holds immense meaning, that they're bringing something to God that to them represents something very real, that God may respond to that in the sense that we are all, we at all times when we pray, we must miss the mark um, in, in, in some ways. Um, and that God must do a fair bit of work interpreting our requests. Um, this is this is a line from Pilgrim's Regress. He whom I bow to only knows to whom I bow. When I attempt the ineffable name, murmuring there, and dream of fired and fancies and embrace in heart meanings I know that cannot be the thing that they art. All prayers always taken at their word blaspheme. Because none of us get it right. I'll skip some of the lines of this poem. 
All men in their prayings are self-deceived. Address one that is not, so saith the old rebuke, unless thou of mere grace appropriate and to thee divert men's arrows, all at hazard aimed. Take not, O Lord, our literal sense, but in thy great unbroken speech our halting metaphor translate. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if God is as worried about the mechanism of prayer as we are. I think that God reads our hearts and uh, responds to that, uh, which I, at least I hope he does. He's delighted with our prayer in whatever form they take. Well, I think that there's a great overlap between this topic of prayer and our entire first season in which we looked at the Psalms over a series of 13 podcasts. So definitely, if you're only listening to this one and haven't heard those earlier discussions on the Psalms, turn back there if you're interested in prayer, because we we had a number of interesting observations about the rawness of the Psalmist's coming before God with not just questions and petitions, but at times anger and frustration and all manner of different feelings. So, yeah, there's plenty There's plenty to this prayer thing. Right, well, we are running out of time. Just before we go, are there any comments or thoughts or directions or avenues of discussion that we haven't had time to pursue that we can we can air now to give people, everyone, something to think about for the next next week? I've got one, and mine is... The, the lesson brings up prayer in the context of uh, witnessing. And there's no intercessory prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Mm. It's, we're not praying for anyone else. There's, except for Locke. Well, there is that bit about the forgiving sins. Yes, but it's something we've already done. Because, we, because we've, we've already forgiven their sins, God, so you forgive ours. Even that's, a I think, a, a section that's deserving more comment. But I think... Mm. Uh, more discussion could be had on on how does prayer fit in to witnessing when we when we do pray for someone else um, that they have a, a change of heart. Uh, you know, I I find that that aspect of prayer at least as bewildering as all the other aspects of prayer, which are pretty bewildering. And 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 following on from that, Cam, there's a, a another element or a particular application of that difficulty. Um, if it is God's will for everyone to be saved, and I pray for everyone to be saved, could I not confidently rest in being a universalist? Why shouldn't it happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's Good. a discussion that should keep you going for a while, everyone. Yes. It were all of Christ's prayers answered. He prayed for unity in the, in the church. And as far as I can tell... That hasn't happened very much. It de- depends at what level of abstraction you measure unity. Yes, yes and how you define <laughs> answers. Yeah, true. And how you define church. Okay. I mean, no is an answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all, all that our listeners have to do is define church, define what it means for prayer to be answered. They, they can write in and, and tell us whether they think all of Christ's prayers were answered. They can solve for me the challenge of intercessory prayer. And uh, I'll be very grateful to receive all these comments. And then we won't have to bother praying because we'll have all the answers we need. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. That sounds a bit of a worrying thought. So if anyone does want to send a comment in, we have an email address that that we receive comments on. 
uh, sabbathschool from home at gmail.com. If you have any ideas, please send them through. As, as we're starting to move out of lockdown, things are starting to pick up pace a little bit. Uh, Ken and I, at least, have been called upon once again to organise things occasionally at, at Launceston Church. And uh, I know, Locke, you've just moved to a new job. And uh, Luke, you're contemplating it moving internationally. So uh, all of us are a bit strapped for time. We're going to try and keep the episodes a little shorter. And uh, as a consequence, we're going to leave, leave them with many unanswered questions. And we're just desperate to hear your answers um, to solve these conundrums for us. So, yeah, don't hesitate to, to send any comments through to sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. It's been great having you with us. And uh, we look forward to a discussion next week, which I think is on uh, the gift of God's spirit. Is that right? I believe so. Right. Well, that, that, that will come out of some of our discussion this week, and I'm sure it'll, it'll give us lots to think about.